In today's episode, Dr. Kashi delves into how some of the cognitive behavioral pundits manage stress to prevent fat gain. He draws a bit from previous episodes on frustrating stimuli and other stressors to make some real-world stuff happen. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to <sighs> Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. And today's lesson is two ways to stress eat to not gain fat with the help of cognitive behavioral science. Asterisk, always the asterisk, okay? Now, this is taking on the last few lessons on stress and frustrating stimuli and putting them into a, a real-world perspective, okay, and a couple of ways to put that into action. The history of managing the human stress response, right, in the Selian biological sense, is largely reactionary. Reactionary in the sense that the management of the human stress response was initially conceived as a means of already helping a, a pathologically and physiologically stressed out person uh, in the Selian sense, like you learned about before, in a state of distress, okay, where the stress is excessive enough to start causing pathology, okay, obvious biological disturbance, definite, almost definite emotional disturbance, etc. Uh, okay, again, they're on the distress side of the stress continuum rather than the eustress side of the stress continuum, right? As science progresses, and progressed, etc. It's it's finally kind of starting to catch up with the more philosophical viewpoint of distress management, okay, as it were. Now, how do I say this? Uh, evidence that you could, hmm, let me put it this way. Medical science up until recently only really had evidence that supported the treatment of an already super stressed out person. Okay, that's really what the point is. Evidence that you could prevent stress and therefore form a comprehensive evidence-based guideline around it needed and still needs empirical substantiation, mostly because it is damn hard to measure something that does not happen. Okay, you can tell a person is super stressed out and then bring the stress response down. Taking a normal person and then keeping them from getting stressed out and measuring that difference is scientifically absurd, which is why it's difficult from an empirical substantiation standpoint to have that become so-called evidence-based practice. Okay, there are scientific limitations, even though philosophically and colloquially and, and in terms of folklore, you already kind of know that there's ways to prevent stress. Just measuring stress prevention is difficult, and that is why gaining a foothold in the clinical setting has become a problem. Okay. Now, again, it's, it's funny because every, everyone kind of already knows that you can prevent stress right, by various means, most notably uh, by systematic desensitization. Joseph Wolpe, look him up, cool dude, all right? Now, if you expose yourself to something that stresses you out in a controlled way, you can inoculate yourself, which is a fancy kind of word for gaining immunity to that stressor. So here's kind of what's going on, okay? A, a frustrating stimulus, as you know, a frustrating stimulus, S, let's see hold on one second am i in the window here yeah okay a frustrating stimulus is the result of something in conflict with your bs your belief system about the world essentially and a belief you have about the world that might be just in your head okay say eating pizza and drinking wine will make you fat that's a belief okay 
I must be getting fat from eating wine and drinking pizza. Then exposing yourself to that stimulus in a controlled way, say by keeping track of how much pizza you eat and how much wine you drink, you can actually prove empirically with reasonable data that although you may have convinced yourself you formulated this BS, a belief system, that pizza and wine would make you fat, it's really that your pizza and wine was more than enough for you. Okay. Further, if a person keeps track of how much pizza they eat and wine they drink and compare it to how their body changes and show that indeed that they can and will lose fat while eating pizza and drinking wine, as so many TKN clients do, they can cure themselves of the fear of food and instead learn to respect it and then use that to their advantage. Okay, When pizza and wine used to be a frustrating stimulus for them or or you know, the prospect of a destructive stimulus, a destructive outcome after eating pizza and wine, they can use rational and constructive methods to prove that this BS, this belief system that they have around pizza and wine, somewhat at least, is a, is a distorted sense of reality. How? Well, because they have data about themselves that they collected, communicating results in the real world that are in conflict with their BS, their belief system about food and eating, okay? This is similar, depending on how you look at it, to what a behavioral scientist would call extinction, okay? A, a person may learn something on purpose many times by coming to a conclusion on their own and then drilling it into their heads over and over and over until they believe it, uh, but a person can only forget something on accident. Forgetting something on purpose or unlearning things, whatever you want to call it, is an inherently paradoxical phenomenon. It's absurd to try and forget or unlearn things. Uh, thinking, thinking about that, it's just it's it's philosophically, intellectually, and, and logically paradoxical. Uh, in other words, a person will have trouble with that. <laughs> After all, to forget something, you must think about forgetting it, which causes you to think about that very thing. This is detailed further in ironic process theory. <laughs> what you can do, what a person can do, is swap their brain's focus onto something else and slowly but surely shrink the behavioral impact of what they learned, extinction, okay? Then, okay, in this case, the BS, the belief system that pizza and wine are bad and therefore a frustrating stimuli, and grow, grow the behavioral impact of what they're learning now, that pizza and wine are okay, and that now they know how to eat enough for them by taking measurements, running controlled experiments, and then taking that information and applying it to the real world to show that it is in conflict with their current BS, their belief system around pizza and wine. Aha, okay. Now, TCAN has taken this stress management systematic desensitization a step further uh, in that it sees stress management, specifically the management of frustrating stimuli, S, can be both proactive and preventative instead of just reactionary. Instead of just taking a, a sick, stressed out person and bringing them to the other side, taking a person that, you know, might be relatively normal and then shifting them over to make them even more adaptive than they were before. Or a person that's bouncing back and forth all the time to help regulate them. Okay, this means that, I should tell you what it means in a second. <laughs> oh, man, window. Yep, man, all these windows moving around. Sorry. So, do it, so the, the, I lost my train of thought here. Excuse me, okay. That is about doing things ahead of time 
okay? So that a person can experience the frustrating stimulus in a controlled way, so that they have a better chance of having a constructive outcome in both the controlled setting and the real world setting. Making, making so that it, when it does happen in the real world, it's easier to deal with, okay? This concept is the backbone of, SR, of SRO's frustration tolerance, or more specifically, getting a better frustration tolerance. <laughs> so here are two examples. Here are two examples. Going out to eat, either by yourself or with another person that's conscious of your plan so that you can order and eat in a way that's best for you, while also having the support and accountability of another person that cares about your progress. This is a little bit of a safety net so that it makes it easier when you do go out with other people that might try and push food on you and alcohol on you, maybe even try to sabotage your progress on purpose. It's easier to generalize because you have an idea of what that frustrating stimulus is like ahead of time and therefore have an operational way to think and act during the time you're exposed to that frustrating stimulus. Now, does this match the frustrating stimulus exactly? No, no. It is a protective way, a proactive way to improve your frustration tolerance when it does happen. Yes, TKN clients generalize, generalize this skill amazingly well. You kind of like run drills, and then when you're exposed to the real thing, you kind of already know what to do, okay? That's the benefit of learning one thing and causing an extinction event of another thing, okay? You've got learning points and you're redistributing them, okay? Now, another one is playing what TKN Jumpstart Challengers learn as the Hunger Games. This is a controlled and purposeful fasting experiment, essentially. And during this experiment, they choose on purpose to keep track of what happens, what they do, and how they think and what they feel the longer they go between meals. Is hunger a frustrating stimulus? Yeah, yeah. Does it feel urgent? Yeah. Does urgency equal emergency? No. Although it feels that way and a person might, might tell themselves the, uh, you know, they might develop some BS, they might develop a belief system around hunger and urgency and emergency and confusing all of those things. Okay. So by going through different meal patterns or even fasting for a whole day, they simultaneously build their tolerance to frustration for cravings and hunger while also learning that cravings and hunger, although they do prompt urgency and therefore impulsivity, which shrinks the space between stimulus and response, right? They can use the information they're collecting with a special method to rationally and constructively help moderate their impulses, okay? understand the nature of their impulses, and then come to the conclusion by data they collect themselves that urgency and emergency are different things, okay? They developed BS, a belief system around hunger and emergencies. They collect data that's in conflict with the BS, the belief system they have around hunger, and that conflict helps the extinction of distorted BS, a distorted belief system, and the growth of a rational belief system surrounding that surrounding that frustrating stimulus, okay? Now, if it's an emergency, dial 911. If it's anything else, it can wait, okay? Now, other more preventative examples include making simple changes to their workspace, uh, to their living space, small variations in the ways they eat, and even how they manage their time during other parts of the day. They all have a strange and important impact on the way they make their food and eating decisions. Why? Because they have an impact on the way they currently observe the world around them. They help develop their BS that they tell themselves, the belief systems around these things, okay? Especially about food and eating, okay? This is about carefully curating fun and exciting little experiments, and then using that data a person collects, 
person collect that they collect that on their own to inform their decisions in a rationally constructive way. It's a powerful tool, maybe the most powerful tool in preventing the human stress response before it happens and building up a massive tolerance to frustrations when it does. Okay. Thank you for learning. Stay rational until next time. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>